Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Welcome back to our study on Proverbs. We're in chapter 4 again, and um, we're going to stay here for at least two more sessions because there's so much to learn in this chapter. Now, let's just do a, let's read through it and then do a brief overview and then get right to where we left off. Chapter 4, verse 20, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor the left. Turn your foot from evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for the privilege of being able to teach young people the book of Proverbs. But, oh God, my burden is not for the teaching as much as it is for them. Oh God, please save them. Please turn their hearts toward you. Please cause them to see Christ, his beauty, his death, his resurrection, his perfect life. Lord, I pray that you would raise up a generation of young people who have this one outstanding characteristic They love your son with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, dear God, please bless the hearers in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in our text so far, again, what is the key phrase? Uh, Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to your mother, your father. Pay attention to the preacher when he preaches correctly. But most of all, pay attention to God. Pay attention to God's word. So he says, pay attention to his word in verse 20. In verse 23, pay attention to your heart. Guard it. Watch over it. Verse 24, pay attention to your mouth. Keep it far from deceitful, dangerous, sinful, Uh, unwholesome language. And now, in verse 25, uh, pay attention to your focus, the direction of your eyes. He says, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Now, of course, verse 25 is related to verse 26 and verse 27, which is talking specifically about the path of righteousness. What is that path of righteousness? It's that path marked out by the commandments of God, by the gospel and the commandments 
of God. So in order for you to walk in a path, the path of righteousness, you must know God's word. But in that path, you must keep your focus. Know God's word and let it direct each step of your life. So we're going to look at that, but we're also going to look at kind of a holistic view of the Christian focus. So let's begin. Pay attention to your focus. He says, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Literally, let your eyelids be fixed straight in front of you. Um, I'd like to look at it two different ways. One is uh, the idea of squinting. And, and this may be an emphasis here, is that not only are you, you focusing on the object of your faith, you're focusing on, on the guidelines for the path in which you must walk. You're focusing on the goal. But it's like you're leaning forward. You're squinting a bit. You're looking, looking, looking. Why? It is so very important. And sometimes, sometimes, even when we study the Word of God, the path appears not to be clearly marked at first. And so we need to go back into the Word and we need to receive godly counsel. It is a difficult thing to walk in this world. Even with the light of God's Word, it's difficult. It requires great wisdom, wisdom that is gained from the Word. And so it's not just kind of nonchalantly looking around. It's squinting, it's, it's looking, it's focusing all your attention on the path. Now, another thing, um, when I was a little boy, there was a family, an old couple, elderly couple, that would come in front of our house on the road, and believe it or not, they didn't own a car or a truck. It was a horse and, and wagon. And uh, I remember you could always hear them coming because the wagon had... Uh, steel rim tires. They weren't rubber tires. It was just flat out iron. And um, and of course, when a when a horse is going down the road, even when the only thing else on the road are other horses, they put blinders on each side. But even more during the uh, more modern times, when a horse not only has to deal with other horses and buggies, but has to deal also with with cars and trains and trucks and planes and so many other distractions of our modern age. And so they put blinders on the side of a horse. Some of them are smaller. Some of them I've seen quite large. And what's the purpose? So that the horse not be spooked by that which is on the left of it or on the right of it. But it just keeps looking straight forward, straight ahead, constantly paying attention. We used to travel up into the Andes Mountains. Sometimes I would ride a horse. Sometimes I'd ride a mule. And I preferred a mule because they were so sure-footed uh, on that rough terrain. And especially when you were on paths that had a cliff on one side that if you fell off, well, it would be the last thing you did on this planet. And you wanted a sure-footed animal, but you also wanted an animal that... that kind of had that was accustomed to walking in places like that and knew how to pay attention and knew the seriousness and the danger, it seemed, of the moment. A lot of horses are very, very flighty. 
the, the mules were always more stable, more going forward. It seems they were, had a surer foot, and they, it seems as though they, they sensed the danger they were in. And, um, and, and this is the same way. You and I need to realize that we, are, we have dangerous cliffs on both sides. The path of righteousness is very narrow, and we don't need to get distracted to the left or the right. We need to keep going forward, keep our eyes fixed. Now, I want to, um, I want to talk in a general way. This, this text has the principal purpose of telling us to stay on the path of God's righteousness that's marked out by the word. But I decided I would um, amplify things a bit. And young person, when you're young, you're very distracted. And, but you need to focus. There are certain things in which all of us need to focus, and I'm going to give you some of those things. The first one is Christ. Christ, above everything else, focus on Christ. The book of Proverbs cannot save you. It can only show you that you're foolish. The law cannot save you. It can only show you you're a sinner. The church can't save you. The preacher can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Nothing can save you. Salvation comes through Christ. Being moral and principled and homeschooled and traditional and classic and conservative and all those things, they can not save you. Wearing the right clothes cannot save you. Only Christ. Only Christ. And we see in the Bible that uh, especially in in the book of Colossians and places like that, where where believers would they would they would believe in Christ and they would see Him as their only salvation, and then they would lose focus because there'd be these false teachers that would say, "Well, you need Christ plus this, or Christ plus that, or you need to you need to believe in Christ and obey the law, believe in Christ and be circumcised, believe in Christ and 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 constantly." kind of muddying the waters or causing the clouds to come in so that you couldn't see clearly. Listen to me. The scriptures are clear. Keep your eyes focused on Christ for salvation, for imitation. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. And if anybody ever comes in and tries to give you something else to focus on that's put Beside Christ, it will eventually go above Christ. Nothing should be above him. Nothing should be beside him. You keep your eyes on Christ. That's the focus. Now, in Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not just looking and then turning away. No, fixing your eyes on Christ. This is where I need to look. This is the author of my salvation. This is the captain of my salvation. This is the finisher of my salvation. Remember Peter. He's walking on the waves. His eyes are fixed on Christ and then his eyes turn away from Christ and he sinks. That's that applies across the board. Morally, theologically, everything. The moment you turn your eyes off of Christ, you're on a slippery slope. With regard to what you believe, you're on a slippery slope with regard to the way you behave. Keep your eyes fixed. Christ is everything. This is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega. There's two Greek 
letters of the alphabet, the first and the last, Alpha and Omega. He's the first part of our journey. He's the last part of our journey. He's the first part of our salvation. He's the last part of our salvation. He's everything. You never get to a point where Christianity takes you down a different road. No matter how mature you are, everything is Christ. So fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Colossians 2.18 Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Now, what's going on in this passage? Well, first of all, Remember what I talked about? The Colossians are a good example. They had believed unto salvation. But what happens? These false teachers come in. These false prophets come in and start diverting their attention from Jesus Christ, from the death of Christ, from the resurrection of Christ, diverting their attention to other things like you've got to keep these days. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And Paul's warning them. He says, anyone who tells you these types of things that tries to get you to look in another direction, they're defrauding you. They're hindering you. They're cutting you off from running well. And in the end, they may be the cause of you losing. So beware of them. And, and, and look what they did here. Instead of just believing in Christ, there's self-abasement. There's a preoccupation with angels. Uh, preoccupation with visions and, and all kinds of things. And we see that today, don't we? So many people who want something extraordinary because they're not, they're not willing to, to, they don't delight in God's word. They want something more. They have to have something more. But we need God's word. And if we're studying God's word, it's always going to point us to Christ, to Christ and the salvation that's in him. Don't get off on other things. If you see someone come to you and say, yes, it's about Christ, but it's also about this, just run. Go to your parents, whatever, just, just run. And again, I want to warn you that I have seen children who thought they were okay with God because of homeschooling or because of the way they dressed or they, um, the classes they took or the music they listened to and didn't listen to. Listen, none of that saves. Some of that can be good. None of that saves. If you come to me and you're just talking about homeschooling, I'm going to be afraid for your soul. If you're just talking about your morality and your principles and history, and I will, you know what I want to hear? I want to hear you talk about Christ as your only Savior, your only hope as the one who is most precious to you. So we want to keep our eyes focused on Christ for salvation. But we also want to keep our eyes focused on conformity to Christ. You know, our great goal in life shouldn't be to even be great ministers or well-known preachers. Our goal shouldn't be to, be to be wealthy or famous or powerful or even our goal shouldn't be in having a delightful, easy life. The main goal that we should have as Christians 
is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Having believed in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, our desire should be we just want to be like him. And that's the purpose of God. And we need to have the same purpose that God has in Romans 8, 28, 29. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, be con- to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now look at this. He predestined us. He chose us from before the foundation of the world. He justified us. He's sanctifying us. He'll one day glorify us. But the great purpose that we should have on this planet right now is the same purpose God has for us, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why Christians will even experience terrible trials, because there's a purpose that's even greater than you having a fun and easy life, and that is that you be made like Jesus. And that should be our goal. You know, so many people that are even in the ministry, a young person, they're all about promoting their ministry. They're all about they want a bigger ministry or they want to do more. And they may even be sincere about it. That shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be to be more and more like Jesus in character, in word, in deed, in thought, to be more like Christ. And how do we get there? The word, the word of God, studying the word, reading the word, memorizing the word. Obeying the word, meditating on the word, talking about the word, listening to people preaching the word. Look what Paul says here in Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. You know, an athlete will train for decades to get a gold medal that isn't gold. But you and I have been called to discipline ourselves to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we're to press on. What kind of energy do you expend in this goal. You can tell me, oh, that's my goal, Brother Paul, but what kind of energy do you expend? What do you do to actually achieve the goal? Now, maybe it's very little, and maybe you need to change. Start by reading the Word every day. Give that to priority. Prayer. Include prayer. Godly fellowship. Obedience. Just know this. The greatest goal in our lives for all of us should be, I want to be more like Jesus, which means I want to act more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, think more like Jesus, love like Jesus loved. Now, another thing that I want you to think about as far as focus, focus, focus. It's eternity. Eternity. I I told someone yesterday, I saw this. uh, No, it was Sunday. Little girl was nine years old. She was playing out there with my little girl. I said, how old are you? She said, I'm I'm nine. I thought back. It seemed like yesterday I was nine. I remember nine because on my ninth birthday, I'd I'd already ridden horses since I was tiny, but on my ninth birthday, my dad gave me... uh, my own colt, my own horse, and uh, just a young yearling, uh, named him Shawnee, 
and um, then two years later I trained them. Um, that seems like yesterday. Life passes so quickly. <laughs> While we're filming with this camera, you can't see it. There's another monitor that shows me on it. And um, sometimes I glance at it uh, to make sure I'm uh, smiling more. <laughs> and I, li I look at that camera and I go, who is that old man on that screen? It just can't be me. Because yesterday I was nine and I was training my first horse. Um, think about eternity because this life passes very quickly. I'm going to read to you a verse that was instrumental in me becoming a Christian. I just happened to start reading the Bible because some people started witnessing to me while I was in college and I read this passage and at first it made me angry because it made me think about my dad but then I realized it was such a mercy of God to show me this passage. Psalms 103, 15, 17, As for man, his days are like the grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And the place, the place where it existed, acknowledges it no more. I remember my dad, I always wanted to be like him. He was a lot stronger than me and bigger than me and smarter than me and so many things. And But one day he died. We were out building a fence uh, in one of our horse fields, and he just kind of yelled and dropped the thing we were carrying on his side. And he fell, and I caught him, and he died of a heart attack. And I was 17, and I, I realized at that moment, you know, he's what I wanted to be in many ways, and now he's dead. I will die. And the thing about this passage, his days are like grass. I'm sure for my father, um, he died when he was, I think, 56 or 57, that he felt like probably his days were like grass, that they went by so fast. It says, as the flower of the field, so he flourishes, and when the wind passes over him, he is no more. And the, place is, the place acknowledges him no more. I remember during my dad's funeral that good men were there visiting him and are visiting, showing their respects, but the conversations often turned to, even at that moment in the funeral home, people were talking about sports, the job, different things like that, and you think, well, my dad just died, and people are talking about other things. But in reality, that, that's the way things are. Not only are we like grass so that we exist for only a moment and we pass away, but we're pretty much forgot about also when we pass away. It says the place acknowledges it no longer. Uh, people go on with their lives, and they should. And so if all you have in this life is this life, if this is your best life now, uh, I can't think of anything um, sadder. Think about eternity. You are going to die. Your life is going to pass a lot sooner than you think. Live for eternity. 
I've always said I, I want to live between two days. The day Christ died for me and the day I will stand before Christ. Live for eternity. Because after it says that the place acknowledges it no more, that the world forgets about you, verse 17, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Look at the beauty of this. After you die, the world kind of forgets about you. So you have a brief life and then you're forgotten. But with God, it's different. His loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. Um, when we die for Christians, we are with him. And we are not forgotten. Because his loving kindness will be poured out on us from everlasting to everlasting. Live for eternity, young person doesn't mean you can't enjoy many of the beautiful things about this life, but live for eternity. If you live for money, for fame, even for a big ministry, um, your life is a disappointment. Live to serve the Lord here and live for eternity. Live for eternity. Now, another that is related here is live for the advancement of the kingdom. In Peru, there's a saying, tu vives porque el aire es gratis, which means the only reason you're alive is because air is free. <laughs> and what, what the Peruvian that told me that meant was a lot of people live with no purpose at all in their life. They're just alive because they're alive, but they have no purpose now, there are a lot of people that have noble purposes. For example, the founders of, of a country, founders of the United States, had a noble purpose. Um, but do you see that many people have even given their lives for this country, which is a good thing and, and worthy of respect? And yet, how long will this country last? Not long. Um, even when righteousness prevails in a country sooner or later, that same righteousness is going to be tore down and all the good that was done is going to be lost. If you live for money, it flies away. If you live for youth, it only lasts for a few years. If you live for this world, it'll soon be gone. If you live to do some great thing, it'll be overturned by evil men later. And so, what should we do as Christians? Well, we should be good citizens, good employees, all sorts of things like that. But we should live to advance the kingdom. In Matthew 6, 9 through 11, Jesus said, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, what we see here is the heart of Jesus more than I think almost any other place in the Bible. What was his purpose? What was his great desire? That God's name be hallowed. Everything he did, he did so that God's name would be treated 
with the honor and respect that it is due, that it be separated from every other name and put in a category high above every other name in the heart of every man. That was his desire, that God's kingdom would advance and that God's will would be done by all people on the earth. Now, that's something to live for. That's what Jesus lived and died for. And that's what we should live and die for. The passion of our life should be seen well in Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I could give my life for a nation and build it up to be something strong and godly, only to have evil men tear it down in the next generation. But there's a kingdom that is coming that will one day fill the earth and it's eternal and it will never go away. It'll never be destroyed and its king will never be voted out. If you're going to live for something, live for that. Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. I pray that God would raise up a generation of young people who would have this motto. Why do you live? I live so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, God's name might be worshipped among the nations. That's why we should, should live. You say, but what if I'm not called to be a missionary or a preacher? I'm called to be a carpenter or a housewife or a mother or an engineer or a doctor. It's the same. Whatever you're called to do, you do it for the advancement of God's kingdom, for the worship of God for the praise of God, and your life will be just as important, just as worthy as a missionary who has gone to some remote part of the earth. So we live, we focus our eyes on Christ, we focus our eyes on conformity to Christ, we focus our eyes on eternity, we focus our eyes on the advancement of the kingdom, and we focus our eyes on our calling, our ministry, our placement, in that kingdom. Paul the Apostle is without a doubt the greatest to me a human example, human example of this. Listen to what he said in Acts 20, 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God I am sure that Paul loved life. I'm sure that sometimes when he was traveling on a boat, I thought about this the other day, he looked down at the beautiful water and thought it was beautiful, or looked over at mountains and thought them special and trees. And I'm sure he appreciated good food. <laughs> but he said all of that, none of that matters compared to one thing, me finishing what God has called me to do. And this doesn't just apply to preachers and missionaries. If God calls you to be a policeman, you do it obedient unto God and you do every bit of it for his glory to serve him in that way. And you, you do it considering when I lay my head one day to rest, I want to have finished the task the Lord has given me. And, and that's another thing, young person. A lot of people are going to grow up and they grow up with the purpose of working all their life in order to retire. And then when they retire, they're going to, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to sleep. 
They're going to um, walk on the beach. They're going to do woodworking, crocheting, I don't know. None of that's necessarily bad. But here's what I want you to see. That's not what you're called to do. If you're a Christian and you are an employee, then do that with all your heart as unto the Lord. But if it comes a time where you're no longer employed, that you have freedom to live, you, you're retired or you've become wealthy or whatever, then don't waste the rest of your life. Use it to serve the Lord. Use it. Discover what is God's ministry for you and carry it out. And if you're a young Christian, if you're 12, 13, let me ask you a question. If you really are a Christian, what's your ministry? You say, well, I hadn't thought about that. Well, maybe you need to. You need to. What is your ministry? How are you ministering in your home for the glory of God, the advancement of his kingdom? How are you ministering to your brothers and sisters, your mom, your dad, your friends in your church? What are you doing? Just because you're young doesn't mean you live a life of receiving only. How are you ministering? You know, Paul made a big statement here when he said, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. You know what? He backed that up. He said a lot there, but he backed it up because when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and Paul is about to die, a martyr, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. And the only way he could have done that was to stay focused. To stay focused. You're in a fight, you better stay focused. You're going to run a race, you better stay focused and on the the right course. You and I need to stay focused. That Christ is all important. That the advancement of his kingdom is the reason why we live here. And that we all have a part in it. And we need to do our part according to the will of God. Now I want to finish with why is focus so important? I wanted to save this to the last. Why is focus so very important. Look at Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. This is Jesus teaching. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is... A difficult passage to interpret, and there's probably several different applications. But your eye, what you're looking at, has a tremendous impact upon everything about you. Um, if, I, if, my, if I have my eye on riches, my whole goal is to be rich. That's going to impact every part of my life. If my eye is on temporal pleasures, and that means my whole focus of my life, the goal of my life is I just, I just want to have pleasure. That's going to impact my life. 
if my goal is I want a big ministry to be well known, that's it's going to change a lot of things in my life. And so whatever your eye is set on, it's going to change you. It's going to mold you. Um, if you're if you're focused on something that is according to the will of God, it will lead you in a right direction. It's like filling the rest of you up with light. But if your eye is focused and your desires are on something that's contrary to the will of God, well, it's just going to bring darkness. It's just going to bring darkness. What do you desire? You know, um, Paul uses the idea of an athlete quite a bit. Because in order to really be competitive, you have to have strong desire. There's no room for apathy, even if you're super talented. Why? Well, the guys who make it to the professional level are both super talented and driven, or they don't make it. And so it's a good, it's a good, um, the athlete can be a good example of the way we should live the Christian life. Um, imagine a young man, young boy, uh, like, like a, a Michael Jordan, from what I understand about him is, is that even from a young boy, he would just all night just be shooting baskets, shooting baskets, shooting baskets. He would practice more, even though he had all this talent, he just outwork everybody. And he did that and, and I don't want to take anything away from it. He did that to throw a ball through a hoop. Um, he became one of the greatest athletes that's ever lived. He had to hone so many skills, dribbling countless different ways, being able to shoot countless different ways, all the things that he did, that, that's worthy of admiration. But Christian... Do we not have our sights set on a greater reward, greater than an NBA championship, greater than a Super Bowl ring, greater than a gold medal at the Olympics? We have our goal is to stand before God and to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. To be like Paul, to know that we ran the race, we finished. We did. Shouldn't that be our goal? Of course it should. Well, if that's our goal and that's what our eyes are focused on, if Michael Jordan and so many other athletes could practice so much, I mean literally sacrifice every other aspect of their life to get good at something, then you and I, can't we give more discipline to reading, to praying, to interaction with godly Christians. I think it's absurd when athletes show more discipline, more gumption, more focus to win a trophy that's not even made of gold than Christians do to gain eternity. Um, there's a passage that I like to share with young people. Let me just read it. It's kind of a description, unusual description. 
It's in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, to those who by perseverance in doing good. Look what they're seeking for. By perseverance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Eternal life. That, that sounds like something you'd find on a shield somewhere. You know, a, a Greek or Spartan shield. But, but see... That's, that's what I want you to see, you young guys and young girls. Our focus is set on these things because we're not seeking just some silly little plastic medal or trophy. We're seeking glory that comes from God, honor that comes from God, immortality, eternal life. Focus on that. Well... I hope this has been helpful. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com 